are listening to the Grace of Bel Air Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. For additional information, you can visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. And now, we invite you to enjoy this week's sermon. And uh, this morning we're going to jump into the message today from God's Word, and uh, we're going to be in the book of Romans today, uh, where we've been camping out the past couple of months, looking at the book of Romans and how amazing it is to unpack this book of Romans. And uh, so today we find ourselves in Romans chapter 14, verse, or and also chapter 15. And uh, so if you've been watching online or been here in person, that's where we'll be today. And this is actually the final message that we'll be doing on the book of Romans. Um, and hopefully it'll be beneficial to you. I believe it will uh, this morning as we look at uh, some major topics that the Apostle Paul is going to address in this book and, um, or in these two chapters. There's a lot of ground to cover, uh, but this is uh, such an impactful book. We're calling it This is the Life. And um, I don't know uh, about you, but how many of you love to go on vacation? How many of you love doing that, right? You love going to the beach. You love going to maybe a cabin. Uh, you know, whatever the case may be, you might like the hike or anything of those things that are fun and exciting. And, uh, you know, if you've been maybe to a place that is your favorite spot, um, you've probably felt this calm, peaceful moment where you just kind of observe everything. You observe, you know, the nature or you observe the waves of the ocean and you're just like, oh man, if I could just stay here all day, every day, right? It's just like such a, a wonderful time. And you just call that really just like, man, this is the life. Like this is just would just be awesome if I could do this all the time. Uh, and so this, you know, as I've thought about, you know, what we're going to be talking about today, there's, there's two different things that we're going to focus on. The first one is going to be living a life of peace. And the other one's going to be living in unity. Uh, these two different points that we're going to be unpacking this morning. Uh, what's going to be so uh, critical is understanding where, what peace is and understanding what unity is. And, and so when it came to me vacationing at uh, certain points in my life, even as a, uh, when I was in high school, my parents went and my brother was in the military at this time, but my sister and I went with my parents to Myrtle Beach. How many of you have ever been to Myrtle Beach before in South Carolina area? And so we went to, uh, went to there, Myrtle Beach, and had a great time. Uh, and so this one time we were in, my, my sister and I were in the ocean. We were throwing a football back and forth in the water. And um, we're just, you know, enjoying it. Everybody's peaceful. Everybody seems happy, right? Nobody's getting upset about anything. It's just a, a wonderful time. Uh, and all of a sudden, I just, I'm throwing her to football. And I see over her shoulder about 20 yards away, this big fish that is getting inside this wave. And I thought, that's weird. And and, it, it, and I see it just collide with a man. And I'm like, wow, that was, that was really strange. And so, and I said to my sister, I said, hey, I think I just saw a shark hit a guy. And then she, and of course, like every sibling relationship, you think you're lying, right? It's like, you're, you're lying, right? And it's like, yeah, right, you're just messing with me. And no joke, five minutes later, they're telling everybody to get out of the water. There's a shark 
in the water. And, uh, and so anything, and you know, everybody got out peacefully and in a unifying fashion. No, they did not. They did not get out in a peaceful, unifying fashion. It was chaos. It was everybody pushing each other. It looked like it turned into kind of like a rugby match where it's like everybody's just plowing each other. They don't care who's in the way. They're getting out of the water as quickly as possible. And uh, it was anything but peaceful and it was anything but unifying to say the least. It was the exact opposite of peaceful and unifying. And so uh, this morning as we look at this, uh, this topic from Romans 14 to 15, Paul has built up this whole case on the, on, the, on the idea of grace, where grace comes from, how grace was displayed upon humanity through uh, Jesus Christ and how it's impacted his life. It's impacting people all over the world and still to this day. Our lives are being impacted by his grace, uh, being extended towards us. And, and then all of a sudden, Paul is, is starting to talk about relationships within the body of Christ, what we call the church, which is you and me. And he's talking about relationships and, and relationships we have with uh, people in the world. And so last week we heard about how, our relation, how we are to view authority in our life and not just uh, the authority figures that we get along with and that make the decisions that we agree with, but authority figures that uh, we disagree with or we have a, have a hard time uh, trusting or, or believing that they are, are serving our best interests. And so Paul is, has laid that out for them, and now he's going to be talking about relationships with one another and how we are to view our relationships with one another. How many know relation, relationships is a two-way street? It's not a one-way street. It's a two-way street. So there are going to be things that you will know about a believer that you have to be cautious with when it comes to uh, respecting what they believe, respecting their convictions. Um, and so th that's really what Paul is going to get involved with here is, is how we live in relation to one another. And so God calls every Christian or every Christ follower to a life of peace and unity. So we're going to unpack this in Romans chapter 14 verses 1 through 4. He says this, except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows him to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master's servants stand and fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. So we're called, first off, to live a life of peace. Everybody say peace. This is important. If you're watching online, you can put that word in there, peace, that word peace. And so today, Paul is, is mentioning right off the bat, the very first thing, he uses the word weak. And so uh, where this is coming from is 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where he's talking about Christian believers being mindful and being respectful about people's convictions and exercising and how we have to be cautious in exercising certain rights. So what, may, what he's saying is that it's not necessarily calling somebody and uh, insulting somebody's intelligence. That's not what he's talking about. He's more so talking about where our convictions and disciplines are at. For, for us, if you, if you would just look at your own life, there are areas of your life where you, you are pretty disciplined, where like you, can, you, you are very disciplined in, but then there are certain areas where you have to have your guard up, right? It's like there are certain areas in my life what I consume, whether that, be, uh, whether that be something that you eat or drink or whether that be something that you watch or, that, or certain environments you're in. How many know that there are certain things that are just different for us where it's like I have to be mindful and I have to keep my guard up because it's not an area where I'm strong in. 
And so you, you, you're cautious with that. And so Paul is, is talking about this and how you and I are to operate so that we don't become a stumbling block to another believer, that we don't do something in a way that would cause another believer to stumble. So you may be disciplined in a certain area of your life. Somebody else may not be disciplined in that particular area of their life. And you exercising your right in front of them can cause them to say, well, maybe I should, maybe I'm okay to do that. And what can happen is things that they thought they had overcome have now come back because the enemy has used your right. See, the enemy is very strategic. He, the, the, even the Bible will call him, he will appear as the angel of light. So it'll, it'll look like it's good in the moment, but really he will take that moment and he will cause another believer to stumble and fall. And he will use sometimes even the things that we consider to be our right. Like, hey, I don't have a problem with this. I'm fine. But when we do it in front of somebody who may have a problem with it, who may have an area of weakness, they can then fall into the trap of falling because of what they saw another believer do. So Paul wants us to be cautious of that. And so he tells us to live a life of peace. And so he, he understands that. And so when it comes to this, we have to understand a couple of different things, which is what he breaks down for us, is that he's talking about a mature believer, somebody that's been in the faith for a long time, that, that may have different knowledge about a particular subject or issue, disputable matters. These are things that necessarily aren't talked about in the Bible specifically, like, you know, movies, for example, like there's not that word movies in the Bible. Um, but, you know, he's talking about matters that when it comes to maybe subjects like that or other different subjects that aren't specifically mentioned, that we understand that God is going to speak to us and he's going to guide us in those particular subjects based on who we are. And how many know God knows us better than we do? If you don't believe me, ask the disciple Peter, <laughs> where he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter says, you're out of your mind. And guess what happened? That very night, Peter denies Christ three times. So guess what? God knows you better than you know you, right? And so it's so important to understand as a believer how we live this life. And so for the mature believer, it's not necessarily somebody that's been in the church the longest, right? It's not about that because you can be a part of something but not be fully engaged, right? It's like going on an airplane. You can be on the airplane, but you're all going to the same destination, but how many know you don't know the person on your right or left, you have no clue who they are, right? You have nobody, but you're going to the same place. But you're not necessarily fully engaged with everybody on the mission. You're just kind of sitting there enjoying your ride, I guess, on the way to your destination. So it's not how long you've been attending church. What maturity means in the Bible specifically is your obedience to the Lord. That's what develops maturity in your faith. That's what we would call a mature believer, somebody that has walked and obedience. And Paul will talk about this in numerous topics when it comes to selecting leadership in the church, all these different kinds of things that he will talk about. He will give you characteristics as to what to look for and what people will have to do in response to the challenge that he gives and lays out for, for leaders or whoever the case may be as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and how they operate. So that is what maturity looks like in the Lord. And so when it comes to these kinds of matters, it's important in how we view one another in our life of peace. So if there's somebody that's strong in a particular area of their life and their discipline, they're strong in that, they are not to look down, as Paul said, not look down on the individual and be like, man, they should just control themselves. 
Like, I don't understand it. I don't have a problem. Why do, why do they have a problem with that? Like, I just don't understand. Like, why do they have a problem? Like, it's not my problem that they have a struggle with that. You know, and so what you end up doing is becoming insensitive to the believer's discipline and conviction. On the same regard, the person that may struggle in a certain area, they should not look at the, the, the believer who's more disciplined in that area and just start condemning and judging them. Well, I thought they were a Christian. I thought they knew better. Because we never say those things, right? Um, and so, it's okay. We can all relax, right? Um, and so we all, we all just, we, we don't look at them in that regard. Because why? Because Apostle Paul says... Who do they belong to? The master. Who's our master? God. So we answer to God. And so Paul is, is talking about our understanding when it comes to this, that who are we to judge someone else's servant? They belong to God. So there's going to be things God generally, generally calls every single person to do. We're all called to pray. Amen? We're all called to be a part of the body of Christ. We're all called to read and study God's word, to meditate on it day and night, to to reflect on it, all these different things. But then there's going to be specific things that God calls you specifically to do because God knows you better than you know your own self. And so when it comes to all these different kinds of topics that we can obviously get into this morning, but uh, for the sake of time, I think it's important to know that we are called, as Paul says, accept one whose faith is weak. Accept them. So regardless of what you struggle with, we always, there's a lot of churches that say this phrase, welcome home, which is so important. Such a key phrase, welcome home. Why do we say that? Why do churches say that? Because they want you to know that just, that when you come in and if you're, if you're struggling in your marriage, we welcome you here. We welcome you home. If you're struggling with your finances, we welcome you home. If you're struggling with hurt, with pain in your life, we welcome you home. If you're struggling with addictions in your life, we welcome you home. This is home. This is your place. This is where you belong. This is the best place you could possibly be on the entire planet right now is with the family of believers. And so if you're struggling with health, mentally, physically, emotionally, whatever the case may be, we welcome you home. Because you know why? Because we're all broken people. We're all falling short of the glory of God. And we need God, first of all, but we also need each other. And when it comes to needing each other, we have to understand how we operate in our, in our own life because God may ask things of you to do certain things in your own life as a discipline because he knows that is an area of weakness in your life that he may not ask somebody else to do. It's like if you're a parent, you have, you have multiple kids in your, your house, nieces, nephews, whatever the case may be. How many of you know that there are generally rules that you set for the kids. But how many know there are certain things you have to be very specific on with that particular child, right? It's like, okay, this child operates a little different than the other child, so I have to be very specific about this person. For example, this morning I gave my kids yogurt. My oldest son, Isaiah, will just down that yogurt, no problem. However, my other son, Everett, does not just want yogurt. He wants granola in the yogurt. You better put granola in the yogurt because it will end up on the floor. Amen? And so, <laughs> and don't just put it on top of the yogurt, Dad. I want it mixed. If it's not mixed, I'm going to have a problem. That's what he tells me. And so I have to mix it. Even though my kids both like yogurt, there are specific things about that they must, uh, in order for them to eat it, there's certain things that they must have or do, I guess. And so that is what you and I are called to, to understand 
when it comes to this life of peace is that, that God may ask us to do certain things that maybe somebody else doesn't have to do because they're disciplined in that area, but you are called to do it because there's something about it. Now, let's read in verses 17 through 23. Uh, Paul's going to give some specific examples about uh, in between these verses about, um, you know, some, certain people may consider a day um, a, a place or a, a holy day, or they may consider it like a, uh, a Lord or a dedication to the Lord, all these different things. There may be certain things they eat, they don't eat. There may be some things they drink or they don't drink simply because they, that is their preference and their uh, conviction, their discipline that they're living out. So Paul is giving some specific examples uh, what that could look like. But then he says this, because he doesn't want the disputable matters to become the focus in the body of Christ, right? So there are certain things that we have to understand when it comes to this, because this literally will tear churches apart. When they make the focus on disputable matters, rather than the focus that really when it comes down to, and he'll mention this, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, is what he says, this is what the kingdom of God is about. I'm talking mega churches have been on a, there have been certain ones that have been on a downward slope because of of a, of a lack of understanding what the purpose and what the, the goal is in building his church. And there's also been lack of unity. You will, if you, if you start to figure out as stuff comes out, you start to figure out they lost focus. So now I'm not just saying big churches can do that. I'm just saying it doesn't matter what size church it's in. This can impact any church, big or small, medium size, whatever you want to call it. It can impact any church if we're not careful. So this is what Paul says is what is the focus and what should be the focus. And so we'll read this in verse uh, 17 through 23. He says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. That word pleasing is, is specifically important. If you have a Bible and you have a pen, underline that word, pleasing to God. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat something or anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, I love how he gets straight to the point. Keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who... The Bible's funny, y'all. I'm just letting you know that. Um, blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come faith is sin. And so Paul mentions right off the bat what the kingdom of God is about. It's about righteousness, which we've talked about. Righteousness is dealing with sin. It's dealing with, it's not letting sin just run rampant. Like it's, God's going to deal with sin, whether in this life or in the next He's going to deal with sin because he's righteous. He doesn't just sit back and just do nothing. No, it's, he's righteous because he does something about it. It's an action. It's an action step. So you and I can be righteous. This is what it's about. We stand for certain things that the Bible clearly talks about, right? There's, there's obviously all over the world, there's injustices all over the world, amen? Like there is stuff happening everywhere. There's injustices everywhere. So of course, we, we can stand for something. We can stand for uh, the, the fact that we're all created equal. We are all human. We are all created in the image of God. That there should not be any racism in the country or in the world. That we understand that. That is what the Bible calls us to. And so we consistently get better at that as believers. 
We're the ones that need to lead the charge in those things because it is important to God and his word that we're all created equal. We're all created in the image of God. There are certain things that we stand for. We stand against human trafficking. Like, obviously, we do not believe that. We believe that it should be dealt with and it should be brought to justice. People who are involved in that kind of activity, doing those kinds of horrible things, right? And we stand for the right to life. People have the right to live. And they deserve opportunities. They deserve to have that, that, the opportunities. And so we don't have to make certain things like the world likes to do, make it political. No, it's biblical, right? And so we, we look at the Bible and we say, hey, you know, these are things that are important to God. And if it's important to God, it's important to me. And so what I'm going to do is operate in a way that's loving and caring for other people. And I'm mindful of, of what somebody else may believe that may be different than me. But you know what? I'm going to be, I'm going to be loving and, and, and mindful of that individual in itself. Because how many know the Bible says you can speak the truth, but you can also speak it in a way that's not in love, and that is not biblical. So when we speak the truth, I have to remind myself, if I'm going to speak this truth, even though I have a way I really want to say it. <laughs> Some of you are laughing because you know the exact same thing. You're processing just like me. I have a really real way I really want to say it right now. But because of what God's word says, I'm going to speak it in love. I'm going to restrain myself on, on certain things, right? And that's important. You can do that. And so the other thing that the Bible, or what Paul makes mention of is the word peace. And how many know peace is not found in the destination? If you have kids and you've gone on vacation, it's not. Some of you all go back, come back. <laughs> yeah, and you're all tired. You're like, I thought this was supposed to make me feel better. And like, I was supposed to be relaxed and why am I more tense you know like I'm back now so having no peace is not found in the destination right it's like what can they just sleep in just a little longer like why does they have to be consistent um so you, you know that peace is not found in the destination how many know peace is found in a person it's found in a person when you're the owner of something you can give it right so if you own a car you can give that car away if you want you can also give away a $20 bill if you want, if you have that in your pocket. But how many know if you don't have that $20 bill in your pocket, you can't give it away? Why? Because you do not own it. You can't give a car away that's not yours. Praise God. <laughs> because all of our cars would be gone. Amen? Um, so you can't give something away that's not yours. So when God is the God of peace, when Paul mentions that phrase, remind yourself of that. He can give it because he owns it. He owns that peace. He can give that to me. And I think more than ever, we're seeing people that are not in a place of living in peace. I mean, it, it's chaos out there, right? It's like one thing after another. This is anything but a peaceful world. So when I want to be at a place of peace, it really can be described in rest. It's resting in who God is. Genesis 2, God creates the heavens of the, the earth, everything in it, six days. He creates everything. The seventh day, he rests. Why does he rest? Because he's given us the understanding as a human being that the world is going to, you know, surprisingly, doesn't change, right? It, we're going to continue to push do, 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 do all the time. You've got to constantly be doing stuff all the time. And so what can happen is this. It's called, it's called burnout. It's called burnout. Because why? Because you're not resting in the God of peace. 
There, what, what does God do on the seventh day? He reflects and sees all that he has created and called it good. He rests and he reflects on the work and, and the hand that he had, what he had created. So what are you and I needing to do? We need to find moments where we are resting and reflecting on the goodness of God, how he's working in our life, not just you know, in everyone's life, but specifically in our life. What is God up to? And what you'll experience is more peace in your life. Because you'll start to discover more and more God's hand on your life throughout, the, throughout that past week, but you'll be more focused on it throughout the week ahead. Is that, wow, I'm seeing God move in, in really unique ways, and he's orchestrating things for me. And it's such a, an important principle because this world is constantly trying to do more. And then when they're supposed to rest, they use it as a day to catch up on their work. And it's like, that's not rest. <laughs> You're just doing more. Now, you find things, and this is what I'm trying to discover more and more, is what brings me rest. There are certain activities, there are certain things that, that you and I can do that will actually cause you to disconnect and just be refreshed and, and energized. It may be a certain activity, it may be uh, family time, it may be yard work, you know, a number of different things that you can do that will cause you to detach from all the responsibilities as far as what you have to do on a regular basis, your workload, whatever the case may be, and you just get to be refreshed. Because the Bible says he will refresh your soul. He will refresh your soul. The world right now is not refreshed. The world is, is constantly running on burnout. And that is why you see tension. That is why you see negativity. That is why you see criticism, because they're so angry and so depleted that they don't even know and they, don't need, and they need to recognize, I, might, I need my soul to be refreshed. And guess who refreshes the soul? God does. He refreshes your soul. So it's more than just being tired. If you're tired, you take a nap. Amen? <laughs> it's, it's, it's the fact that, no, I, I don't need to just take a nap. I am actually just depleted. I am depleted mentally, physically, spiritually. I am depleted. And something, someone needs to refresh my soul. The Lord says he will refresh your soul. And there is, I mean, obviously all these, these, these words I'm mentioning could be a sermon series in itself. I'm trying to give you a quick summary of each. Then he says there's going to be joy in the Holy Spirit. And I love it because it's like a progressive thing. This is actually a progressive thing. Is when we start to operate in, in righteousness, we start to operate in peace. What it's going to produce in you is joy in the Holy Spirit. Because joy is not happiness. There's two different things. Happiness is based off a situation you can be happy about the situation in one moment. Next moment, you're mad, right? I mean, that's just the way happiness is. Joy is, is recognizing that, again, he owns the joy. He can give the joy. So regardless of how this situation plays out, I'm going to have my trust and my hope in God. It's this whole idea of joy. I can still walk by faith. I can still feel energized by the Lord. I can, I can, I can continue to see this operate in my life. It's a progressing thing that happens, as Paul is mentioning here. And so you do this, and what you get to do, what he tells us to do, is serve Christ. We serve Christ, and we please God. That word, that word please is important. Because what happens is we start to look at certain things, certain areas, certain topics, as a, you know, and what Paul, and even the Bible will talk about, certain things that are heaven and hell issues, right? There's, there are certain things that are heaven and hell issues. There's, and, and that's, you can have those views on certain things, but you've got to be careful. 
Because what can happen is that can get twisted into your mind to do things that are not pleasing to the Lord. You actually find reason to displease God, to satisfy your own desire, desire your own flesh. People say, Pastor Bobby, do I have to go to church? No, you don't have to go to the house of God, technically speaking. But guess what? Try that in your marriage. Try not to go home. See if that, that relationship works out. Right? How many of you know that relationship's not going to work out very well? Why? Because you're operating selfishly. Right? It's like there's a number of different topics. I could go all day on that topic, but we don't have time. Um, <laughs> i gotta, I got to get through this. But um, there's an, so it's so crucial how we view things, Paul is saying. We've got to evaluate things with a clear mind, a clear heart. And it's not just about heaven or hell issues. It's, it's more than that. It's saying, no, no, that's why Paul used the word pleasing to God. Pleasing to God. There are going to be certain things that you do that are just pleasing to God because he's called you to it. God has given you a conscience, right? God has given you a conscience. Now, just because your conscience is clear, Paul has mentioned this in another letter, just because your conscience is clear does not make you innocent, but God has given you a gift. It's your conscience. And there will be things that he tells you to do, disciplines you need to set up that you need to follow because he's protecting you from even yourself. And it's so crucial that we do that. So what I, what I do, and like I said, when it comes to relationship, being at peace with one another, it, it's a two-way street. So there may be things I know about somebody else that is, is important that I, I am careful about certain things just because I'm disciplined in that particular area of my life. And that could be a number of different things. It could be what you eat, what you, what you drink, what you watch, what you listen to, what environments you go to, all these different things. I got to be mindful of that when I'm operating in the body of Christ both here in the church and out in public with them. I've got to be careful because I know I don't want something that I'm disciplined in, that I'm fine in, and I'm okay with, and I can do that, and I'm not going to get into any kind of trouble. I don't want to become a stumbling block to somebody else because they can think, well, maybe I can do that then. If he can do it, I can do it. And then what happens is they're not disciplined in that area. You see how the enemy works? He can use your right. He can use my right. And turn it on another believer. He's crafty, the Bible says. The enemy is crafty in the way he works. And so I must be careful for the sake of living at peace. And so the second part of this is about living in unity. Everybody say unity. This is a, this is a fun one. Um, Paul is going to talk about the unity in the body of Christ. He says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. Not to please, there it is, not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind, one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. 
and in him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's talking about unity. Unity is crucial in any kind of team environment, any kind of church, any kind of athletic team. How many know that when you go to a football game, you're going to see 11 guys on the field from each team at a time, and if it's the Ravens, you're hoping that they go score a touchdown, only to be disappointed because the Colts intercept it and take it the other way. I'm just teasing, just seeing if you're paying attention. All right. Uh, no, but the goal is to see your team go down the field, score a touchdown, right? That's the goal. You have 11 individuals on the field of that particular team who are going after the same goal. They want to win. Now, it's important. How many know that they come? those 11 guys are going to be different shapes and sizes? You're going to have a guy that maybe weighs 200 pounds. And you're going to have a guy that may weigh 350 pounds. How many know different shapes and sizes? That is, and I don't want to get blocked by any of those individuals, right? Um, and so they, but how many know they all have different kinds of opinions and agendas, personal preferences, uh, you know, but how many know when they walk on the field, they are taught and, and told many times, leave it off the field. But when we walk on this field, we lay it all down and we have one goal, and that is to win this game. When you and I are a part of the body of Christ, we lay agendas down. We say, you know what, personal preferences, regardless if they preach on my favorite chapter in the Bible or not, I'm going to learn from God's word and I'm going to hear what the word of God says because all of it is important. Not one book should be neglected. They're all important. I may not understand a particular book of the Bible as well, but it's still important. I need to find out why. Why is it important? It may not be my favorite song, but I'm not praising the song. I'm praising the one that it's written to. We've got to get this figured out more and more. We're not praising the song. We're praising the God of the song it's written to. We listen to it and we say, wow, yes, I will praise him with this. I will, I will. And it's a, an expression and I love it. I love that the word of God speaks in different ways. I love how songs speak in different ways. And it's all supposed to be geared towards God. And that's our focus. That's our vision. That's how we look at it. Is that I'm going to praise God. I'm going to read his word. Because I want to discover all the different ways God is working. And how he is operating in humanity. And what he's done for me. I just That's, that's my heart. That's my goal. And so we learn to lay agendas down. That's what, that's what professional teams do. That's what the church is supposed to do. It's a biblical principle, right? And it's so crucial because we are all called to build this church. But I understand, Paul understands this, is this, is that in the, in the getting along with other believers, he's going to be talking about how we operate in the, in, the, in the church, that there are going to be things you do towards somebody that might be a little insulting. There are going to be things somebody does to you that might be a little insulting, but you see, I, and I, it's, a, it's almost a strange quote that Paul mentions here, but there's a reason. He says, the insult of those who have insulted you have fallen on me. Did you know that there were plenty of things his followers were doing that insulted Jesus? Did you know that they were doing things that insulted him? But do you know what he did? He learned to get along with them. He learned to believe in them still, to speak in them still. And he still served them anyway. Paul is saying, you and I are going to have at times disagreements, 
things that happen to us in the body of Christ because you're, we're human. There are going to be shortcomings that we have. There are going to be things that we're going to disappoint people. Paul is saying Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. But the goal and the point of all this is that you learn to get along. And then you know what Paul uses? He uses this, this, this part in Romans 15. He says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. So Paul is saying, you get along with one another because Jesus has gotten along with you. What a powerful statement he just put there in verse 7. You get along with people in the body of Christ because God has gotten along with you. And he's still working in you. He's still, he's still operating in you. He's still helping you grow and develop more and more into his likeness. And what Paul is, is bringing out here is this incredible challenge of getting along with one another. It's that we lay our preferences, agendas, things that have happened. We lay it all down and we learn to get along with one another. And this is why, because there are Jews and Gentiles in this time frame who are having a very difficult time with this, right? Because you have Gentiles that are now coming into the faith who have different view on life. Right? There are certain things that have, they have been in operating and they had food sacrificed to idols. That was a big one. They had food sacrificed to idols and the Jewish people are like, well, that's not a real God anyway, so who cares? I'm eating my steak. Right? They're just going to eat it. Right? But there's a Gentile, they're looking at it and say, well, that was sacrificed to such and such of a God. And so yet they have not yet been able to wrap their mind around all this stuff on these kinds of subjects yet. And so they're learning how to get along with one another. And this is what Paul is bringing up. And he's saying, listen, you accept one another because Christ has accepted you. And then he mentions some key, uh, some key scriptures here that are important. I, they're not, it, it is pointing to a, a, a destination here, what he's trying to bring up. He says this, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. That comes from 2 Samuel 22 verse 50, Psalm 18 verse 49. And guess who that's talking about? King David. King David's talking. He said, um, and, and the second part, rejoice, O you Gentiles, with his people. That comes from Deuteronomy 32, verse 43. Who's talking there? That's, that's Moses. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. That's come from Psalm. Again, King David, Psalm 117, verse 1. Then it says this, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. That comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 10. But it also comes in Matthew, chapter 12, verse 21. And there's a reason why Paul does that. It's because he has just listed heroes of the Israelite people. David, Moses, Isaiah. These are important people in their culture. Very important people. But then they're all pointing to who? In Matthew chapter 12, verse 21, the last one that gets mentioned is actually mentioned in Matthew. It's mentioned in the New Testament, chapter 12, verse 21. And it's pointing to Jesus. They pointed it directly to Jesus. This is crucial because what the Gentiles need to understand is that God has displayed his mercy on them. And the Jewish people need to learn to accept them in the faith. And this is so pivotal because this is what he says. He says to the Gentiles, moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Amazing grace, amazing mercy. Because what the, the Gentiles were discovering when they came to faith in Jesus Christ, is how God was working in the Jewish people throughout all the generations 
to set themselves apart, not just for the fact to set themselves apart, but to display who God is and that he is the one true God over all the earth. And so when the Gentiles come to faith, they will start to discover God's activity in the Jewish nation or the people group themselves. And they will only be able to say it is because of the mercy of God. Such a key word. Because what Paul does, if you look up these verses that I've mentioned, is that it will actually say the word nations. Paul flips it in this. Not to change the Bible, but it means the exact same thing. Nations, Gentiles. It means the exact same thing. What he was trying to get the Jewish people to understand is that you accept them because God came not just for you. He came for the nations, a.k.a. Gentiles. And the Gentiles will view this as God's mercy because guess what the Gentile nations were trying to do? They were trying to destroy the Jewish nation, right? All these nations were coming against them time after time after time. And so now the Gentiles can say, what incredible mercy. We deserve wrath. But God doesn't give it to us. He displays his mercy. Not only is it an incredible grace that Paul has come to know, it's incredible mercy. What incredible mercy God has given to him. And then he says by finishing, I'm going to have the worship team come. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is taking you and me to a deeper place of trusting in Him. And because He desires the, the power of the Holy Spirit to flow in and through you. And when you learn, and when you and I learn to operate in these things that Paul has listed out for us this morning, we're going to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. God is going to be working in us. His Spirit's going to be working in us. It's going to be working through us. And we're going to understand that every single one of us is called to a life of peace and is called to a life of unity. And when we do that together, it becomes an unstoppable church. This is why Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's a reason why he states that, because he understands when the church lives this out, there's nothing that the world can do about it. It doesn't matter what they throw at the church. It doesn't matter how they try to make the church afraid. They try to bring all these different things into it to eliminate the church. Jesus knows it's going to thrive. It's going to even thrive even in the worst of times. When the world experiences all the worst things that are happening, the church is actually going to thrive in that, and they're going to go deeper. It's so crucial that when we look at this, is that the Apostle Paul, when he came to know Jesus, he learned more and more about the grace of God and it, can, it changed him in a moment, but it also continued to change his life and his perspective because this is why Paul made his ministry about reaching the Gentiles because this is what he discovered. It was revealed to him. It, was, it blew his mind. And he says, I am now going to go preach the gospel to Gentiles. And if you're not a Jewish person today, you should be saying amen, right? Because we are all the beneficiaries of that. We have all benefited from that moment where that was revealed to people, that God came not just for the Jews, he came for the nations. And you and I can be grateful of that this morning. Amen? Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? If you're here today, and you're here to 
maybe give your life to Jesus Christ, we want to give you an opportunity to do that today. We also want to pray for people. If you're here this morning, you need your, your, your soul, your spirit refreshed. We're going to have people pray for you this morning at the end of service that would love to just take a moment to pray over you that will refresh your soul. Maybe you're here today and there's some things that God is convicting you on that maybe it's disciplines that you need to put in your life. Maybe you've ignored it and that you need to to establish that again because it's God knowing you better than you know yourself. And even though another believer may not do the same discipline, he's calling you to it because he's protecting you from something you may not see right now. But he's protecting you from it. And so you learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, what he speaks to you, because his desire is not to take away your joy, not to take away your fun. In fact, it's, it's, a, it's the opportunity that he wants to give you to have your, his peace rest upon you, have the joy of God rest upon you because of your response to trusting him over your own self. And so this morning, we're going to have those moments to do that if you would like to receive prayer over this morning for those things that we've talked about, or if there's a specific thing that's different than what we've talked about today, these, these folks will pray a, a prayer of faith over you today. It'll encourage you. It'll build your faith. We all need encouragement. As Paul would mention this, we all need that mutual edification. And so this morning, if you would like to receive prayer this morning, feel free to come forward as we're dismissed today, but let's pray. And then that'll be our form of dismissal. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment, Lord, we get to just reflect on your grace and also reflect on your mercy, Lord, as you poured that out on us. Lord, we're so thankful that you gave us the, the ultimate example of living a life of peace and living a life of unity. Lord, I pray that as we operate as a church, Lord, we would glorify you. We would not make, uh, make the main thing about disputable matters, but we would make the main thing about building your kingdom. Lord, that we would be a, a people group of, of, about righteousness and about peace and about joy. Lord, we pray that this morning that as we walk out of this room, we would continue to remain unified. Lord, we would lay down our agendas, our preferences. Lord, all these things, Lord, that uh, Lord, that we can lay down. Lord, I pray that we would do that. Lord, help us to be disciplined in our areas of our life, to be responsive to what your Holy Spirit is telling us and teaching us to do. Lord, and that we would be uh, mindful of other believers, Lord, and that we would build each other up and not tear each other down. Lord, be with us as we go today. Lord, we thank you that you desire to build your church and that you desire to use us to do just that. Lord, be with us as we go today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon. Come forward if you would like to receive prayer on your way out today. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night or next week.